Hello babes and welcome to It's an Average Life. This episode today will be about bereavement and grief. Now this may be a bit of a deep one for those of you out there that have lost someone but this episode is purely going to be me speaking from the heart. I'm not a psychiatrist or a professional mental health or grief. I'm just a person that's lost someone and that we're just going to talk about it pretty much. Just like most people in this world, we've all lost someone that we love and not a lot of us talk about it, but we all live in our own little bubble and hurt on our own. And this is just going to be me sharing my experience and what I go through on a daily basis and what I've dealt with for the last three years and what I may face in the future. Because unfortunately, grief doesn't go away and it stays with us forever. In fact, until we die ourselves and it can be really difficult and this this episode will be quite emotional for me to do so I hope if there is anyone out there that's going through something similar or can relate it to themselves at all it may help you I don't know in what way but so this episode is going to be very dear to me and I'm going to be sharing a lot of my personal life with you guys and I think that it, you know it's for the better I'm not here to do any negative or do any bad and I never want to ever do any bad so if you do feel upset by anything that I say fuck off it's my feelings and I can feel however I want to feel but yeah so I of course am doing this podcast because I am dealing with bereavement and grief and I have been since May 18th 2018 was oh my god I'm already getting upset <laughs> I've been dealing with grief since May the 18th of 2018 when my mum passed away. It wasn't a very expected death. She was poorly from Mother's Day. Is it March? Whenever Mother's Day is. I think so from March and then till May. It it wasn't like a sudden death, but it was a a sudden death is in like we were all living life normally, never expecting them to go anywhere. And then within three months, they'd passed away. It was sudden to me. I had expected there to be some outcome because I had done a lot of research about what was wrong with my mum while she was in hospital. And what we was being told by the hospital wasn't necessarily to the extent that the internet was telling me. So let's start from the beginning. Mother's Day came and I was house sitting at the time and I was prepping to come around to see my mum later in the afternoon and I received a phone call from her just to say that she's going to hospital. So it was a bit like a what, where? She just said that she had felt poorly and called 111 and they advised her to go to hospital. Now, before all of that, my mum had been suffering with jaundice and some other symptoms that she wasn't sure what they were related to. So she was previously going to the doctors for a long time probably up to like a year or so she was going to the doctors to have tests done they did blood tests they tested her liver they tested everything they tested her bilirubin levels i always remember that word because they always tested her bilirubin because she was so jaundiced um and she had had all that checked by my doctor surgery which is the shittiest one by the way ever um and they had been checking everything they checked her for diseases of the liver and uh, autoimmune diseases and they checked her for a bunch of stuff and everything apparently come back fine which obviously it fucking wasn't because for the state that her liver did get into it doesn't happen within four months of going to the doctors of them giving you the all clear but whatever then <laughs> so she had been previously feeling ill and going to the doctor's surgery to get checked but had no response back from the GP about anything to be concerned about. So she lived her life with these symptoms and eventually I guess they just took their toll and it was on Mother's Day that she felt really poorly and 
felt the need to call 111. And I would just like to mention that my mum is not someone who would ever want to ask for help or would want to be a nuisance. She wasn't one of the people that was, oh, I've hurt my leg. I must go to the hospital immediately. Everyone, my leg hurts. I broke it. She was very to herself, very private, very prideful and wouldn't want to cause a stir for anybody. So for my mum to go to hospital and actually get checked was kind of like a big deal. I went to visit her in the hospital and she had skipped through all of the waiting times and she was actually placed instantly in a side room next to A&E and was being taken for loads of tests. And at the time, it wasn't anything that we were all like, what's going on? Like, I remember sitting in that room with her laughing about a cafe bag and I, I took a picture of it and her smiling like, ah, look at this. Like, we're all joking and I think we were all secretly worried, but not to the extent of like what it led to. But nevertheless, she kept high spirits in the beginning and we all chipped in and did whatever we could to help mum the best that we could the first round that she was in hospital so she was in hospital receiving tests and that and I went away on holiday to Amsterdam at the time so I was like give me updates whilst I'm away and they had discovered that she had had okay so she pretty much had been sent home after receiving tests Uh, originally that her markers for cancer came up and in her blood test so we were all really worried thinking that she could have had cancer um but then it it was just a matter of fact of her liver being very poorly damaged um so they sent my mum home to be rested at home and if any symptoms were to get worse to come back um i can't remember what they sent her home with whatever but she was home for two weeks and in that two-week period her body blew up like it fluid everywhere to the point where she could barely walk um she was in the downstairs spare bedroom and she could barely move barely walk she needed assistance from my dad uh, i was cooking my mum dinner and doing what i could and this period of time i really have a struggle with for me um and i deeply regret that two week period that my mum was home because in that two week period it was like i had this weird i don't know what i was doing I am my mum's best friend. Like, we are inseparable. We spent every single waking day almost together. And during that two-week period, for some reason, I was just an asshole. I was um willing to help. I wasn't, I wasn't like, it wasn't that like I was mean, but I was just, for some reason, just, I think I was so down with the situation that I repelled it against my mum. I, I, I like put it all against my mum, who was the one that was ill and needed help more than anybody. And I was just being a douchebag about it. And I don't think it, it wasn't because I didn't want to help or do anything like that. I was always the one who took care of my mum first in line to look after her and that two-week period was just awful for me because I just couldn't even I couldn't even cope with what was going on and I think I just acted out and it's so stupid because I wish that two-week period that she was home I made her life easier and I, pro- I probably didn't which sucks after that it got to the point where her body had blown up so much with fluid in her legs and her belly she contacted the hospital and explained the situation and they sent her in for a drain they didn't end up doing the drain on my mom because of the risk of hemorrhage was too great so they ended up putting her into a ward and that was it from then she never came home after that from there i think that was the start of april april the 12th to be exact april the 12th she went in and she never came back out of that hospital she was really depressed and I think you could tell 
that maybe she knew something was real bad and that she might not make it out of the hospital this time. There probably wasn't going to be much that they could do and she was scared. I can't imagine the feeling it is to know that you're possibly going to die and be the strong one of the family because that's my mum was the tie that kept my family together. So to think on top of just life in I just can't even imagine you know I know we're all gonna die one day it's inevitable but to be living and then just know that you're gonna die or think that you're gonna die and you're gonna leave everyone behind it's whatever so yeah she started to get really depressed she was hating the MRI she was absolutely petrified of MRIs and it was so horrible to see my mum so down and it was just the worst so yeah they were doing tests or whatever and eventually get to the point yes so it turns out she had cirrhosis of the liver but not just any cirrhosis it was like the worst one that you could possibly have the one that would have developed over a long period of time and the last four or so years that my mum had been visiting the gp they should have recognized it then but they didn't and so therefore my mum has now ended up in hospital with stage four liver cirrhosis And that just doesn't happen overnight. So unfortunately for my mum, there was a big fault in the GP and their health service. And if they had caught what she was asking them to catch earlier, probably we would have had her around for a little bit longer, which would have been lovely. But life goes in that way and that's just what happens. My mum was the manager of where I worked, but she wasn't the boss. So I was very lucky that the boss of whoever was the boss of my mum, they allowed me to take some early time off to leave to get to the hospital to look after my mum. They allowed me to, towards the end, actually have days off because she was very poorly. And I remember taking sick days. The last two days before she died, I actually took sick days and I just rang them and said, I'm sick and I don't want to come in. And I went to the hospital instead. (laughs) But yeah, um, I remember the day before she passed away, going to see her on my regular visit and arriving with like all her juice and all the stuff she'd always text me like what she wanted she'd always want like some fruity zero calorie drink because they'd make her drink this horrible shitty 40 sip stuff for her vitamins and she was on a very strict diet and very strict water intake because her liver couldn't possibly it was to the point where her liver couldn't function anything passing through it so she was on restricted water and stuff like that and she'd had a brilliant day a few days before the sixth fifth and fourth day before her she passed away she had brilliant days me and her best friend um we were all joking and laughing and she was doing her crossword like we always do and then it was it was the 17th of may and i turned up for my regular visit and the moment i see her it was like i knew i would never accept it but it was like i knew she was very grey. She wasn't herself at all. And when I arrived, she was sleeping and you could see the struggle that her body was doing just to keep her like breathing while she was asleep. And my aunt arrived. I had to leave because I was going to cry. It was just a very overwhelming... Get a grip, Emma. Jesus. It was just a very overwhelming thing to see my mum like in that state. And I know I'd seen her the whole time through hospital and being poorly, but it was overwhelming to see her look like death. And I left and as I was leaving, my aunt was coming in and I just looked at my aunt and said, it's not good. So I had to leave and I left with my previous partner to go get a Costa and I'd be back. I was like, I'm going to get ice. (laughs) I need some fucking ice, bitch. So I came back and my aunt just kind of looked at me like with these eyes, like this is not good. And I was just like, yeah, this is not good. And my mum was just resting. We left her to rest. And then when she did come round and notice that we were all there, she was like, oh, it was like she wasn't my mum. And she knew who we all were and stuff. But 
one of the first things she wanted to say to us was like, look at this. And she was like trying to roll for me because I used to do my mum's personal care for her when I was in the hospital. She rolled over and said, look under my my back. And the whole of her right side, uh, her back and her right side was just blood red. It was all bruised. And that was obviously from where she'd had internal bleeding. And she was pretty much bleeding from the inside. And there was nothing that they could do. We were given the false hope of like, oh, we're putting you on a liver waiting list when secretly we all knew that she would never get there. But they would just never tell you that. And that's one thing that pissed me off the most is how uninformative the hospital were to us. And I remember speaking privately to a doctor and I said, look, like, what's the situation? And even they wouldn't fucking tell me. And it's just like, give us a little bit more leeway. Stop filling us with this false hope that oh yes, she's going to be transferred. Hopefully we're looking at getting that liver and they know the extent that her liver is damaged and that she won't survive. But yet they're telling us that, don't worry, we're pushing for it. We're pushing for it. I could guarantee they probably didn't even file the fucking paperwork for this liver fucking transplant that she was guaranteed. Never going to happen. But regardless, sorry, that's anger. Anger at the GP. (laughs) Regardless. She then passed away. May the 18th, me and my dad went to the hospital in the morning. He received a phone call at about 6am. We've shut up to the hospital. And when we got there, she was sitting up and she was drinking this drink. And she was all angry because we were all, f- my dad's a flapper. He flaps about. He's so frustrating. And he's like, he's jotting around like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And my mum's just going, sit down, just sit down the lot of you. Just come on, sit down. So we're all sitting down and then everyone's rushing around. And the next thing you know, we're told to leave. And then we left. And then after that, it was hours out like three to four hours after um so i'm in between calling my family because my brother and my sister live in australia so it's like night time for them so i'm calling them and updating them as much as possible my whole other family is arriving like the ones in the uk my cousins my aunt my mum's best friend they're all coming to the hospital and we're all like dotting around we're being told where she's going she's being put in icu she's going to this place she's going to that place and then at one point they were like right okay go to the cafeteria wait a little while we'll we'll come find you and i'm thinking like right okay the whole time tapping my foot waiting what the fuck's gonna happen i was playing jurassic park evolution on my phone for fucking most of it and then we all end up waiting outside this corridor and this lovely scottish lady walked past the one that i had seen with my mum before and I grabbed her and I was like, oh my God, do you know what's going on with my mum? And she went, your mum? And I went, Lynn? And she went, oh. And they had had her in this side fucking room, a room that you would walk past in the hospital and not even know what's going on behind that door. Behind that door, people. But yeah, they were like, yeah, yeah she's in there. She's in there. And the next thing you know, these doctors all come. There was like four surgeons all masked up. This lady took me, my dad and my aunt into this room and told us like, oh, how long has this been going on? It doesn't look good. Talking to us like blah, blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, one of them receives a call and they're like, you've got to go now. So then we were all running through the hospital to the room that my mum's in. And the sight that I see, like it's weird how you remember visually, because I remember going into that room that was like bolted off and looking left and I just see my mum's feet because the rest was covered by like a, one of them like curtains. And I just see her feet on this like table and I was like, oh my God. And I walked in and the sight that I see will stay with me for the rest of my entire life. But I see my mum with tubes coming out of her 
her eyes bulging out of her head and it just didn't look like my mum. But, like, obviously, I understand now that that's because they were resussing her and she was resussed three times. She was resussed three times, three to four times, however many times they had done it. I don't know why they fucking bothered. But, yeah, she was pretty much on a life support machine keeping her alive whilst we were there. And the moment I see her, I had a panic attack. It was a feeling I've never felt before. Like when I've been anxious before in my life, I've been nervous. Oh, I've got a job interview. Oh, like I need to poo. This feeling dropped me to the floor. And for somehow this man managed to put a a stool underneath me as I fell. And all I remember is just looking at my mum and this man, this doctor puts his arm around between me and my dad. And me and my dad are sitting on these stools. We're sitting on these stools and this man's got his arm around us saying, she can probably hear you. She's not in any pain. Um, but we will be shutting off the machine soon. So talk to her. I remember holding her right index finger and holding her. I held her right index finger and I held her leg. And I told her how much I loved her. <laughs> and then they'd shut the machines off. <laughs> she died. I left the room, called my sister and my brother that our mum died. And that was probably one of the hardest things I'll ever have to do. The weirdest thing as well, side note, I rang my brother, my sister, and then immediately after I did that, I rang my boss and said, so my mum's died and I don't think I'll be in work. (laughs) Can we believe that? (laughs) It's the weirdest thing because... In a situation like that, you would honestly think that's the last thing on your mind. And I instinctively, <laughs> after my mum had just died, uh, called my brother and my sister and then immediately called my boss, told them I won't be in because my mum's died. So I, I apologise. I was like, so sorry, <laughs> which is terrible. But so, yeah, that was my the worst day of my life. Since then, unfortunately, life has just been a big grey blob for me. And I've kind of floated through the last three years of my life. And it's not something I really talk about. But now we've got the hard part out of the way. We got that hard bit out of the way. Hopefully I can stop crying now and we can move on. <laughs> but it's difficult. So that that was my hell day, guys. That was hell. And I'm sure everyone who's listening to this and has a moment like that, that's your hell day. That day resides inside you. You remember it to this fucking day, to the T. And it's awful. It's horrible. And yep, since that day, life has never been the same. After that, my life turned into a bit of a whirlwind because my sister was coming to visit my mum in hospital from Australia the next week. So literally, Poofaced missed mum being alive by a few days to see her. And we had to get this funeral arranged quickly in enough time for whilst my sister was actually holidaying here for a week in the UK that we we needed to get the funeral up and going so my mum passed around the Friday by next Wednesday we need we need a funeral like let's get this done so we had to get her registered on Monday like my mum's death get her all registered on Monday we went immediately to the funeral directors got booked in for the Wednesday I'm pretty sure yeah the ball was rolling after you die there's a lot of stuff that people have to do for you (laughs) it's a really long-winded process we had we planned the funeral me and my sister made up a poem (laughs) it's really funny yeah i i wrote something to be said at my mum's funeral i never i never spoke it i was too shy yeah after that my life completely changed for me personally i left my job because i felt like i couldn't possibly work there my mum was my manager where i worked 
And to me, to work there, everything my mum's handwriting all over it. She's the registered manager. She's like, everyone will be calling, asking for Lynn. Everyone will be talking about it. I'll have all the carers coming in going, I'm so sorry about your mum. She was a great... And I just couldn't. I could not stand the fault of having everybody pity party over Emma because she's lost her mum. Oh, she was so... I couldn't deal with it. And the only thing for me was clear the fucking desk, clear your desk, leave. So that was it. I was out of here. I left my job because I couldn't face going there every day on my own. I just... I lost myself completely. And it did help that... So it's a side note, but also the relationship that I was in at the time was absolutely the most toxic relationship ever. And the day my mum had passed away, obviously I, I, I fell asleep in the evening, but I was awake very early in the morning. And it was just kind of like a blur. And I remember finding out that my partner at the time was currently cheating on me during the whole of my mum's death and illness time in hospital. So it was a great time to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like life was very against me at this time in my for this for this point in my life everything was against me and I just felt so like I've lost everything there's what's the point in living anymore what's the point in continuing and I've lost the person I love the most in this absolute world the person I'm supposed to be supported by isn't supporting me in fact they're doing the complete opposite I remember having times throughout when my mum was poorly and I was being pretty much asked to choose between my relationship or my mum's health I did luckily not even luckily I chose my mum over my relationship because fuck you you can't and it was just a terrible time. I had no job and nothing. I've completely lost myself. I was like, shit, right now I've got to find a new job. But I was in no frame of mind to be finding a job because I, I 100% went insane. I was crazy. I didn't, I've not dealt with my mum's death well. And I, even now, I still have issues with my life that I wish I could overcome, which I can't. Getting a job is a big one because although I have a job at the moment, it's a comfort job. And, you know, I work in a cattery. The people I work with are lovely. But even to get to that point of getting that job was a struggle. So let's talk about how we continue living life normally after someone you love dies. For starters, it's very hard. <laughs> I um, I don't know how it would be if you are older and, you know, you lose a parent when you're older and it's more expected. It's never easy losing a parent. But at my ripe prime of 22, I wasn't expecting to be losing my mum anytime soon. And I'm still a baby. Kids nowadays, all you millennials, we're all still babies, most of us, really. We all still live at home with our mums and dads. We all don't really want to do anything. We all kind of are like, mum, can you call the doctors, please? And I am 100% hold my hands up and say, I, I am a baby, okay? <laughs> I'm not good at adulting. Uh, especially at the time, not good at adulting. I was learning to adult, but I couldn't adjust very well. So after losing the person that was teaching me to adult, I had to go out there in the big wild world and do it myself, which I didn't cope very well with, actually. I struggled very, very badly with trying to get a job after my mum passed away. I had a severe anxiety. I mean, I was depressed to hell, but trying to get a job for me at that time was... One of the worst things I could have done, I probably went for about six or so interviews and had two or three actual jobs that I have. I got employed for two or three of them, went for the first couple of days and then sacked them off instantly because I couldn't cope with it. Uh, I remember I went to work for Amazon in Tilbury and 
my first day, I did complete my first day. I went for my second day and I walked out halfway through it because I just, I couldn't cope with it. There's some, there, I, don't, I really don't have much of an explanation for it either, but I just physically couldn't cope with the situation that was going on. Like everyone around me, it was, it was just awful. I mean, working for Amazon at Tilbury, it was awful anyway, but I just, I was like, I need to get out. No explanation. I just had to leave and I had to leave now. So that job left. And then I had another job at Lidl's and I was there for two days before in my head it was like, get out now. And I left. I just left Lidl's. I then got a job at another care agency, which I was always, I've always worked in care since I was 16. So I was like, well, this is a piece of piss. And I walked into the care agency and they were like, sweet, you fucking, do you want a job in the office? And I was like, no, no, I'm okay. I'll just be a carer. Did the whole week's training and induction to then sack that off because I got scared and had to run away. And it was just like this awful, awful thing that every single time I tried in life, I fucking ran away from it. And I couldn't, it was never something that I'd struggled with before. I've always been employed. I've been employed since I was 16, even went and got a different job, not working within the family at Sainsbury's. And I stayed there happily for two years. Then I went and got a new job working with my mum. But after that, like after my mum passed away, I struggled so much with finding employment and staying in employment. Eventually, there was a lovely little Facebook post about a cattery local to me. I was lucky enough to be called and invited to an interview. So it was a late at night one as well, I remember. But the courage that that took, I almost sacked off that entire interview because I was scared. But I went for it. I went there, had the interview. I thought it went okay. Came in for the trial day, did that. And I almost never went back again because I got scared again. And they invited me back for a, a second trial. Uh, all the trials were paid. So she, they invited me back for a second one to meet the other lot of, of girls that worked there. And I ignored the message and I didn't turn up. And then I it was like, I completely was like, right, okay, that one's gone again. Sacked it off again. I can't ever do it. And then I was speaking to my sister and she's like, oh, how'd that go? That's such a good job. Mum would be so happy that you're working in the cattery. And everyone was like, oh my God, because my mum loves cats. So everyone was like, oh my God, your mum would be so pleased to see you working in a cattery. And then I was like, oh my God, and I've just sacked it off. <laughs> I've just fucked that job off. So... I luck I was so lucky. I rang my manager, who's my manager now. I rang my manager back and said, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I completely missed your thing. I I thought the days were different. I'm so sorry. I thought it was for next week. I do apologize." Like made it all up. <laughs> and yeah, and then I went there and I'm so lucky. I've been there for 2 years happily now. Um I'm the people I work with are absolutely wonderful. They're so lovely. I get to work with cats and it's not as lovely as it sounds. I don't sit there and tickle cat's ears all day. I do get scratched and I do pick up poo with my hands. <laughs> Sometimes you have to, okay, if you're under pressure. But yeah, it's not like the most glamorous job in the world, but it was. it's a job for me and it's really started me off. It was a good kickstart for me to get back into it and not only like was that a good start for me to get back into working the people I worked with all lost people the same year I did so it was like we all were together by fate and we were all meant to be like our little grief unit it was really cute so I managed to eventually get that job even now it doesn't it doesn't pay too well and I'm not I don't earn tremendous amounts of money I earn enough to get by but not enough to 
live life and enjoy it. I just earn enough to pay the bills and that's it, pretty much. I don't have any extra cash to go out and splash. So the money I earn is for bills and that's it. So eventually one day I will need to branch out and get a, a, a life job, you know, when people say life. And I would absolutely love my life job to be entertaining people because my confidence grew so much more once I got that job and so I was at a new job with a new bunch of people and life was starting to look up I didn't even mention my paper round actually I didn't even mention the paper round I also had a paper round before but it's it's funny how like grief affects you so so much in life and you know, I've you learn to deal with it, but it never gets easier. And one thing, one thing that I struggled with was the fact that you know they're gone now. Life goes on. Obviously, every everyone dies. Okay, we're gonna die. I will die. You listening will die. Life goes on. The sun comes up and it still shines. The moon comes around. I don't know. Does the moon come up? The moon comes around and that still shines bright too. So. Regardless of whatever happens in anybody's life, the world continues. And I struggled a lot with that because it was like, excuse me, my world has stopped. What the fuck do I do now? And that was my life for like, well, still is a bit now. (laughs) That was my life for definitely two years. So apart from affecting my work situation, it made me feel very alone, which I think grief does make you feel very alone. And the worst part about it is I found myself Googling and Googling's the worst thing you could do. It helps. It does sometimes. But then you find yourself on these weird grief forums and then you're reading about Charlotte from Stoke who lost a hamster and is really upset about it. And then you're comparing your mum dying to someone who lost their hamster. But then I'm like, oh my God, she might really love that hamster like the way I love my mum. And then it was just like a real weird, the internet's a real weird place. I made that up, by the way. There's no one from Stoke called Charlotte. I mean, there probably is, but that was a that made that was made up so that you guys understood that grief on the internet can be sometimes well winded into a bunch of other shit but i googled and i googled and i was trying to make myself feel less alone by reading other people's stories and it never helped like even this right now me speaking to you guys and you listening you might go oh I'll just listen to emma's entire death mum death story and i still feel alone because that's what grief is though you are alone because it's individual to you and no one else has lost their partner, son, daughter, mother, father, cousin, anything that you've lost that you loved tremendously. No one lost it the way you did. And I think no matter how much we all share our thoughts and opinions and our grief with each other, you will always still feel alone because I always still feel alone. I I mean, maybe it's not for everyone, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that that get a lot of help from listening to other people's stories and them venting. For me, I mean, this helps a lot, but this also brings up some like really horrible memories. For me, I just feel alone no matter what. And that's something I feel like I'll struggle with all the time. And I'm not someone who talks about this a lot either. Uh, It takes a lot for me to speak about things like this. My partner hates it. My current partner hates it because all they want is for me to just release how I feel. And I don't like putting my feelings or my negative, especially my, I find these, ne- they're not negative feelings, but they are sad. And I'm not, I don't want to put my sadness onto someone who could potentially be happier not hearing it. It's one of those things I'm not a good 
good person at reaching out for help and I've never have been I like to deal with stuff on my own and if I'm having a rainy day you will never never know about it and that's just how I've always been but grief it takes you over man (laughs) it makes me alone no matter how unalone I actually am and how much support I have around me it's never enough to fill that void because it's nothing's going to fill that void but moving on to the people around you let's talk about that the people that you have around you at the time You know, they're all loved ones and they're all people that loved the person that you lost in their own way, whether it be your siblings, your dad, my mum's friends, like everyone who was affected by that loss, you know, in their own way. You have that all around you as well. I think what I wanted more so from this episode was to have a comfortable place to share my voice and have like just just reflect actually, because I will, I do listen to my podcast back like four times because I do this, I talk it. And then I listen to it whilst I edit it. And then I do a proof listen. And then I listen to it at the end once it's done and released. So (laughs) this is almost, this episode's almost like for me to analyse my own grief. I kind of also want to know if there's anyone out there with stories that are similar to mine. Because I would love to speak to people that have gone through something similar to me. Although people could relate to this in other ways, I would love to meet someone who is similar so that we could share how we dealt with it. Because... I can relate to people losing their mums, but can I relate to people losing it to cancer? No, I can't. I mean, we both lost a parent, but your mum died differently to mine and probably went through different fights and and different situations and that would have affected you differently. So I would love to know if anyone out there has anything similar to mine. On top of that as well, though, I do also want to break the... uh, Is it taboo? I want to break that oh god we can't talk about that because it's depressing and no one's going to want to hear and you know unfortunately death is a thing and unfortunately more so people have feelings so that death death has becomes hard for us and although it's so normal like to happen it's not normal to talk about and I really want to break that stigma because there's nothing more normal in this world than dying folks we all do it you know, everyone's like, woo, I was born. Woohoo, it's my birthday. I mean, you can't celebrate your death day, not in this realm, but it's normal to die. And it's not scary to die. We're all going to do it and we should accept that fact that we will die. And I would like, lo- I just, I would like to talk about it with people and, and keep it open, share it, because the more we really talk about it, the better we will all be able to support one another and ourselves because this helps me just as much as it could help someone else out there in the world and maybe like your friends and family and like because this is inevitable you will all at some point lose someone that you love and no one speaks enough about this so you know we should all get intimate with each other and not sexually but just like share our experiences what we found difficult what helped us what it feels like and just be honest with one another because how lovely would that be if we all just sat and spoke and shared our stories and you know genuinely felt touched by one another not in a pervy way once again because I know you're all perverts that do listen to this and even if you're someone that hasn't lost someone even the listeners that are non-grieving you guys can learn from it too because it's something that you could expect to be dealing with one day. And after the death of my mum, because before that, I was never someone that 
that spoke about death too much. Like I knew we were all going to die, but it wasn't anything that I'd spoke about or grief or bereavement. I'd lost my nan prior to that. And that was a tough loss in our in our family but I was young so it wasn't anything really that I would ever speak about and I think it's for a lot of young people it's not something you're expecting to go through the normal situation is you grow old your parents grow old you are funeraling funeraling is that a new word you are funeraling your parents and that's expected but when they're old and decrepit you know when they're need their bum wiped that's the expected time for them to pass on you are old you have your children it's not really expected to be still a young adult or child and lose someone that is still supposed to be around to look after you like I know my mum was 53 when she passed away but I was the baby and I needed help (laughs) I need help with life and I'm sure my brother and my sister just feel I don't know how they feel. This is how I feel, but it's difficult. It's not, my whole point is that it's not normal to have a conversation about grief. And I feel like a lot of people spend a lot of time not talking about it because of feelings and because of sadness and everything on the internet has to be amazing. Let's put really fancy music over me jumping into a pool in the Bahamas and that's great. You know, that's all there is on the internet is what everyone has and how great everything is. And that's good. Positivity is great. But the world isn't like that, you know. The world has its hardships and its sad times and people die and people lose the people that they love. But no one really ever broadcasts that and speaks openly about it. And it should be natural to be able to deal with those feelings in a healthy way. And there's nothing wrong with talking about it with each other and sharing it with the world. Because I feel like, as a matter of fact, you will find there's a lot of people out there that want to share their feelings and stuff. But, oh, no, someone's going to call me a Debbie Downer. No one cares if you're a Debbie Downer, okay? Not not in my positions. Come be a Debbie Downer to me. I'm so open for it and ready. Let's be Debbie Downers together. But I feel like that stops a lot of people, you know. No one, oh, no one wants to hear my sad story. No one's going to understand oh, my feelings, no one will listen. And you just beat yourself up about just how you feel in general, which is stupid. It should be open, we should discuss it, and it should be more mainstream. But it isn't, because death doesn't sell. (laughs) I was very lucky, though, to have people around me that really wanted to support me. And I think people could see how much of a toll that death took on me and my life. But there are some things that I feel like when people... It's for people that don't know about death and how to take it, especially when someone that they know has going through it. And it's hard if you don't know. If you've never been through it, the generic things to say to someone are, oh my God, are you okay? I'm so sorry for your loss. What can I do? Is there anything I can do? How did they die? I mean, who fucking... The worst one, one of the worst ones I found was when people were trying to tell me it gets better or maybe it doesn't get better. That one I found awful because, yeah, life continues. I know, I understand that. And I know you're only trying to help a person who's telling me to get better or it gets better. I know life goes on, but it's my my little situation and it's just unsolicited. <laughs> Even, you know, it's coming from a good place and I understand that. But I found it really difficult because... To me, in my world, in my world, it's never, ever going to be easier. Ever, ever. And it never gets better. That's 
something that will never get better in my life. I've lost the most important person to me in this fucking world. It's never going to be better, Brenda. So I know I know everyone's different. Some people don't mind what anyone says. I'm one of these people that I don't I don't mind what anyone says to me in relation to responding to my grief. And I understand that people are just saying stuff to make you feel better. And I get that. And I just like accept it and move on. But in my head later, I'll be like, I'll never be better. You'll never know. I'll never be better. And I'll have like my own little demon rant later in the day because I can't be bothered with the ag of turning around to someone and going, no, I'm not all right. And no, it doesn't get better. So fuck off because I couldn't be bothered with that. And I wouldn't want to make them feel bad. They're only trying to help, you know. And for us people that are grieving, I think we should be a bit more accepting. I know it's hard because the anger sometimes gets in the way, but we should be a bit more accepting of these people that have no absolute clue about how to deal with bereavement and grief at all. They've never had anyone they love around them die. So for them to come forth and go, I'm so sorry, but hopefully it gets better, is them trying to be good? (laughs) I mean, to us, it's like, fuck you. But to them, they're really trying. Actually, what you could say instead, though, for those that are listening and don't know what to say, but what you could say to them instead is something like, I will be there for you for whenever you need me for the rest of your life. I mean, if you're a friend for life and you genuinely want to help someone that's going through a shit time, because it never gets better for any of us. And there's no time limit on this, you know. We will be sad and never completely healed for the rest of our lives on this situation. And the worst thing you could probably say is it gets better because it doesn't get better and time doesn't heal this wound. You just learn to live with it. You learn to deal and cope with your own grief. I cry on the bus. (laughs) Three years later, I cried today on the bus. Every fucking time I get on the bus to go to work and come home from the work, I cry. And it's three years this May that my mum had been gone. And you would think that, you know, for someone never had anyone die, you can imagine, oh, yeah, no, oh, yeah, you get over it, you get over it. You don't. You don't, unfortunately. It's not that simple and you don't just get over it. And in five years, in ten years, in nine months, you aren't just magically happy and you aren't just, woohoo, life's better now. Who was that that died? I don't even remember. (laughs) Like, that just doesn't happen. In 50 years, if I make it that long, I will not make it past 55, 100% know that. But If I make it all the way to the end of my life, whenever that is, I will still be in pain about the loss of my mum. And I know that. I fucking know that. So to say something better instead, like just as a hint for those that are listening, tell someone that you're there to support them for as long as they need you there. And that is one of the best things you could say to us because... In six months, we know that if I turn around and go, I'm really sad, they're going to go, oh my God, boo, I got you. And in two, three years, five years, 10 years, if y'all are still friends and, you know, they notice that you're having a bad time, do you know how blessed I am? Side note, I have some amazing friends and this this directly is to my best friend, Kirsty. She knows me so well. It's three years later and I could have a bad day. She will message me going, oh, I feel like you're having a bad day today. You were right. And she will make sure that I'm okay, no matter what. And to me, that's an amazing friend because it's things like Mother's Day is coming up, right? Which is a whole other part of this podcast. (laughs) And I feel like this is going to have to be a part one and a part two situation because 
I've explained my story and spoken ranted a lot, um, but there's so much more that I want to talk about, like occasions and dealing with like situations and other things. So there will be a part two to this, definitely. But Mother's Day is coming up and Mother's Day for me is a tough day. I know a lot of people out there have mums and the minority don't, um, whether it be through death or whatever other means. But it's a very tough day for me. I don't have a mum to celebrate Mother's Day and all you get, Mother's Day emails, Mother's Day Facebook posts, Mother's Day Twitter, Mother's Day Instagram. There's Mother's Day everywhere slapped all in the shops. And I have to walk past all that like, hmm, I don't have one of those. Bye. <laughs> and it's hard. And my best friend considered me and made a made a whole post because she does this selling thing made a whole post about how she will be posting about mother's day but she's not slapping it all in your faces because of for those people out there that don't have mums which a part of me was like oh that's really considerate but I also did say to her don't not do it because you know most people out there have mums so don't worry too much about us that don't have them we deal with it in our own way and we'll we'll adjust to it as hard as it is i think it's just our bitterness and angriness about the situation that every now and then i'll go have a mum i hate mother's day but i'm also really happy for those that do have mums to celebrate mother's day and i hope you will have a wonderful day make the most of it guys please do because i'm slightly jealous there are so many things and i think this is a great start and i 100% i'm going to do more of these because I feel better. I feel better even now just talking about it. And I know I haven't said much. I told the story of up to and how my mum died. I said about how I couldn't get a job <laughs> and keep one. Um, and I've said about what to say briefly to someone who has lost someone. And that all took an hour. <laughs> so I definitely will be doing more parts of this, but I don't want to talk on for too long because... I know this is a lot for some people to take in, especially if you're listening and you haven't lost someone that you love. It could be quite overwhelming. But part two coming your way in the future. Hopefully we'll have some more lighthearted podcasts between now and then. Um, and I hope you did enjoy this. I'm going to leave it there because um, I want to think about what I want to say in part two of this. Now that I've said my story about about my grief, I would love to on the next one talk more about the occasions and other things related to grief and how we all deal with it differently more so so that'll be really fun to talk about i mean it won't be fun but <laughs> it'll be fun fuck it but yeah guys i really hope you enjoyed listening to my story i'm so sorry it got a bit emotional it's all raw it's all real guys and it's just me sharing my story and i hope if there's anyone out there it helps even a little bit because there's nothing worse than feeling alone even though i still feel alone talking about it it could help somebody if not you know if it didn't help any of you out there it helped me today just even venting because I try and keep all my feelings to myself and I don't like to talk about how I feel so this is a big thing for me but I hope you enjoyed and I hope you have a great fucking day like I say don't eat too much cake because you will end up like me fat and depressed luckily I'm not lonely but <laughs> I am the other two so yeah I will Catch you all next week, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Sorry it's deep. Teet, teet, toot, toot, boop, boop. Love ya. Bye.